This is the Learning Curve Podcast, and I'm Pastor Scott Rambo. Welcome to the classroom. Let's dive into the Word of God and see what He has to say to us today. All right, so tonight uh, we're going we're gonna to be talking about spiritual warfare, the Spirit's part of spiritual warfare, our part of spiritual warfare. This is Brother Scott's question that he posed the other night. And of course, it wasn't just one. It was it was several questions in one. So I'm going to do my very best to answer each part that he had asked. I think that the overall answer is yes. It's simple. Do we help in the battle, if you want to call it that, the spiritual battle that fights against our flesh? Yes. I mean, it's simple to answer that question. Of course, we have a role that we play in it. Um, but that role is only possible because of the Spirit. You get what I'm saying? Like if it wouldn't be for the Spirit, then we couldn't do our role. And there are there are hundreds of scriptures, but these are the ones that actually stuck out and, and answered the questions the best. So do it by your heads. Father, we thank you for this time to come together. Father, we thank you for each and everything that you've done for us today, Lord, the things you've kept from us. Father, you see the death in our community, Lord, we ask it. You would be with the family, Father. You would be with both individuals that were involved in the, in the wreck, Father, that you would touch, that you would move, God, that you would give peace, grant exactly what they need at the moment that they need. Send those alongside of them to pray for them, Father, to lift them up, to encourage them, Father. We just ask in Jesus' name that you would be in that situation. Father, be with us tonight as we go into your word, Lord. Please explain it better than I can, Lord, through the Spirit of God so that we might see exactly what our part is, what is our role in the process of sanctification, in the process of spiritual warfare against the flesh. Father, we thank you again for this day, and I thank you for this people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so I'm going to read the question. As like I said, it was a multi-part question. This is He asked this. He says, does the spirit war against the flesh by himself, or do we fight alongside him in spiritual warfare? Have we been called into spiritual warfare against ourselves? And if so, to what extent? It's pretty simple. Does the spirit war against the flesh by himself, or do we fight alongside him in spiritual warfare? Both. He's, he's not by himself. But here's the thing. Without the spirit, we couldn't fight. We could not uphold our end of the deal, if you want to put it that way. It's impossible for us to do what we're supposed to do unless we're endued with the power of the Spirit of God. Have we been called into spiritual warfare against ourselves? Oh, most certainly. Paul talks about that over and over and over, and we're going to go into some of that. If you're not actively fighting your flesh every day, then you're not even trying. You're literally not trying. Then last, if so, to what extent? To what extent? The, the most strictest extent that you can come up with in your mind, and how all, all the way until the day that you die. So, so as strict as you can possibly be until the day you die. That's the answer for that. So we're going to go into this, beginning the Spirit's purpose. So first of all, let's talk about what is this? What is the purpose of the Spirit? This is pretty, pretty elementary. We've all heard this before. So in John 14, 26 through 27, it tells us this, the purpose of the Spirit is to teach and bring all things to remembrance. We remember that. Jesus is saying, I'll pray the Father and He will send another. And starting in 26, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, which Helper would be Advocate, Comforter would be Advocate. We're talking about He's our Advocate because He's on our side. So the Helper, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, 
whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. What is what is it that he gave us? The peace that he left with us was what? It was the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is our peace. The Holy Spirit is what he has given to us, because he says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will not leave you without an advocate. I'm going to give you one, and that one is the Spirit, the very Spirit of God is going to come and indwell your body and help you walk through this thing day by day. And, of course, we've said this many times. It's not perfect. It's not a perfect walk. It would be ideal if it were, but it's not. So, first thing, here to teach us and to bring all things that we've learned to remember us. You know as well as I do, you find yourself in a situation or and what comes to your mind? A scripture. There's scripture that comes to your mind. Or someone asks you a question. Well, what about this? Why does that scripture pop in your mind? It's not because you're smart. Why do you remember John 3.16? Well, that's pretty simple because you've heard it all your life. But why would you, something random, 1 Peter 2.6, why would you remember that? Because at one time you've read it and at that moment the Lord endues you with the knowledge to quote that, to know that at least that's where you're supposed to go. I know that's happened to you guys. Like you don't know exactly where it is, but you know enough about it. In your Bible, you can flip to Galatians and you can find, it may take you a little bit, but you're going to find it. Why? Because of the spirit that's inside of you. That's what he's saying. It's going to teach us all things, but it's going to bring things to remembrance. Why did he tell them when they drag you before the explanation as to what the spirit does? Okay. What the purpose? This is, Jesus is speaking in seven. He says, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. In the King, King James, it's expedient. It's expedient that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. What is his purpose? He will, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. So he will convince the world of sin. Right? Nobody knows they're a sinner unless what? Unless they've been convinced by the Spirit of God that they are a sinner. And righteousness. He will convince you that there is a such thing as righteousness. And what you think is righteousness is filthy rags before God. And finally, in judgment, there is a judgment coming and that spirit will convince you that guess what? There's a day coming when there is a judgment. But here's the awesome part. That that one who would judge has been judged. The one who people think judged them, which they think it's Satan, but it's really God. He has been judged and he has been cast aside. So the sin need not worry about that because the one who brought that into the world, who orchestrated all that he's gone right all of these things righteousness there's no righteousness apart from god but you don't know that before unless the spirit's in you then he says concerning sin concerning sin because they do not believe in me what is the only unforgivable sin blaspheme in the holy ghost and what is blaspheming the holy ghost saying that jesus christ is not the son of god that he is not real there is no other sin there is no other sin that is not forgivable. That's what the Word of God says. Jesus himself said that. Save this. You blaspheme the, the Son of God. You blaspheme the Holy Ghost. You say there is not a Son of God. Because there's absolutely no... Go ahead. 
I thought it was, I thought it, it, he talked about how even those who reject him is still blasphemy the Holy Spirit because there's nothing that comes after the Holy Spirit. That's the they point. Want to deny Christ is the denying of the Spirit. Of the Spirit of God. What is the Spirit trying to draw you to, to do? To acknowledge there is righteousness, which is Jesus Christ. So yes, you're right. That's that's the point of the, of the Spirit of God. So once you reject that Spirit, there's nothing else that can help you. What leads you to faith in Christ? A measure of faith, which is delivered by the Spirit of God. Correct. We rejected, we were God-haters, and we rejected the Son before we came to the Son. But it was the Spirit that we didn't fully reject, or else we wouldn't be here. Yeah. But if you reject that which yeah. is the last, then there's nothing, there's nothing left. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will no longer see me. What was the judgment? Concerning judgment, because who's been judged? Satan. Consider, consider judgment because Satan has been judged. Guess what? There was a judgment that was fit for everybody, but now, because Jesus Christ, the righteous, has gone to sit at the right hand of the Father. He died and rose again. Satan was judged in that. That's what the Word of God says. Now, Jesus Christ holds all authority in heaven and in earth, in every realm there is. So Satan has no foothold unless we do what? Give it to him. He has no right. He can come against me all that he wants to. That's his purpose. The, the, the Spirit is our advocate, but the Satan is our adversary. They both start with A, but they both have totally different functions, right? So unless I give him the ability to gain a foothold, the Word of God says he cannot have that. So we see now that concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment, the Spirit is coming to convince the world of those three things. Let's move on. Romans 8 and 14, the Spirit's purpose is to lead us. And that it means to be driven. So in Romans 8 and 14, for all who are being led are driven by the Spirit of God. These are the sons of God. And I heard a very interesting way of putting it. It's a very southern way. Never thought about it like this. But being driven, one of the things when Paul talks about they were driven by the, in, in Acts chapter 28, the shipwreck, it says that the wind drove them. Right? We were driven by the wind. There was nothing they could do to stop it. It drove them and it pushed them where they were going. That makes sense to me. Okay, That's what the Spirit of God does. It drives you. It leads you. It drives you where you're going. There's two ways to look at being led, though. If I am in a NASCAR race and I'm the pace car, I'm leading everybody on the track. But a locomotive is also leading every one of the, lo of the engines behind it and all the cars, right? But what's the driving force of all those things? The locomotive. The Spirit of God is, a loco is the locomotive. And you and I, we're that which is attached to it. We are driven by that. It's not like we're, we're on a race car and we can go wherever. No, we're attached to the Spirit of God. Why? Because where does the Spirit live? He lives within me. It is driving me to do what I do every day. Because, guys, I would not do the right thing. Whenever I got off work today early, I would have went and done what I wanted to. I wouldn't be here. That's my flesh. My flesh wants to do what I want to do. And it doesn't care what you think. It doesn't care what anyone else thinks. But the spirit that's within me says, look, you've been given a calling on your life. The Lord trusts you with his word. You need to do what, you're, what you've been called to do. That's, and therein lies the difference. Now, who made that call ultimately? 
to be here or not to be here. I, I did make that decision. That's where we're getting to. Yes, you have a point. You have a part in this. You have a purpose in your sanctification, in how you live your life, how closely you live it with the Lord, how closely you walk to his perfect path. Because that's the awesome part is the word says that before there was anything, he preordained works for us. He preordained a pathway for you and I that if we were to walk on it, is our life going to be perfect? Most certainly not. But man, it would be a lot easier than we make it a lot of times. A lot easier. We make this thing hard because we go, it says not to stray to the left or the right. And man, are we good at straying. Very, very good. It's like the vehicle that needs a front end alignment. We need a spiritual front end alignment a lot of times. Because as soon as you let go of the wheel, that thing's supposed to go to the right always, but not this fast. And that's the way a lot of us are. You, you step away from church for a week or a month, and the next thing you know, you're just you're way over here. You need to, we need to stay where we're put. We do have a part in that. And that's what we're going to see. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 6 and 11, the Spirit's purpose. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in, in, in the Spirit of God. You were washed, sanctified, and justified in what? In the Spirit. Jesus said that about his word. He told his disciples, what? You have been made clean. You have been washed by the words I've spoke to you. The word of God washes us, cleanses us, cleans us of, a, of the unrighteousness that's in our life. 2 Thessalonians 2 and 13, we're talking about sanctification, and that is being progressively transformed into his likeness. That is the likeness of Christ. Can you see that in your life? 2 Thessalonians 2 and 13 but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through what? Through sanctification by the Spirit and faith and truth. The Spirit of God is here to sanctify you. Now we've seen a bunch of purposes of the Spirit of God. These are the purposes of the Spirit. But you and I also have a role in this. And the thing that I don't want you to forget, and I say this quite a bit, but I have to remind myself is, I would not do any of the things that we're about to talk about if I wasn't filled with the Spirit. There is absolutely no way that I would try to subject my flesh, that I would try to push down, that I would try to crucify my flesh without having the Spirit of God. It's not possible because, just as Ethan said, I am in my flesh a God-hater. My flesh hates to be subject to anything other than my desires. That's why I'm overweight, because a big part of it, because my flesh wants to eat. That's the reason I was talking in class the other day. That's the reason that I go five or six miles an hour over the speed limit, because everybody else does it around me and nobody ever gets in trouble for it. It's, it's a sin. If we're just talking about sin and what it is, what is the speed limit? 55. God's law is perfect. Man's law is not. It's corrupt. Why? Because I know for a fact that I can go 61 miles an hour and pass cops all day and they're not going to pull me over because the law of man has wiggle room. God's law does not. That's just, that's just another one of those things. But, but I consciously know and have said that I know that the Word of God tells me that I'm to follow the law of man. When I make money that I make cash, and I have, and I don't pay taxes on it, that's a sin. Because Jesus Christ himself said, Render unto Caesar what's Caesar's, and unto me what's me. When give God what's God's, and give Caesar what's Caesar's. 
That's still sin in your life. That's why I say so, so many times we, we need to be super merciful and we need to try not to be so much like a Pharisee because you're sinning every single day in the things that you do, but you're okay with those sins because it, it, it makes things better for you. I don't pay taxes to the federal government on $10,000 a year. That doesn't hurt me. Does it really hurt the government? Not really. They're going to blow it on something ridiculous anyway, right? But the spirit inside of me, I still know that what's right and what's wrong. So just being merciful. That's where we get back to our part. I'm saying all that because I know that my job is to aid the spirit in my sanctification. The things I just spoke about that I do in my life, those are not sanctifying things. I'm not helping myself. And then when I get pulled over by a cop for going this, over the speed limit, then I get angry about it, which I'm not supposed to do. And it's 100% my fault. But I don't think about the thousands of times that I was speeding that I didn't get pulled over. In the spiritual, I'm just comparing something in this life to something. It's the same way. Except for with God, you always get caught every single time. There is no getting away with anything. That's why Paul is fixing to be so adamant about, because we're looking Romans, 1 Corinthians, Thessalonians. Rome, this is all Paul talking. Paul had so much to say about our part and the Spirit's part coinciding with one another. So aiding the Spirit. We talked about the Spirit's purpose. Now let's talk about aiding the Spirit. If you notice in Romans 8 and 13 when we start, it says, If you. This is talking about you specifically. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Who is Who by the Spirit is putting to death the deeds? You. You are. This idea that I can just be saved and then go about living my life however I want to. Guys, you were never saved. A truly saved individual is going to try, and they're going to fail terribly. But the, the point of everyday living is not to grieve God. And when you do conviction, and when you do conviction, because I get convicted every day, multiple times throughout a day, it may be a thought that comes in my mind. And although <clears throat> Brother Gene, in the very beginning, I remember I was talking about that years ago. And, you know, he said, you're always going to have things and that we call them intrusive thoughts now they actually have a name and a label but it's something that is just comes into your mind and you're like where in the world did that even come from what well, came from your from your adversary it came from the enemy but here's the bigger thing is you're the greatest enemy you're ever going to have in your life you blame that on satan but it's the evil that's still within you every single person paul talks about that again at the very end, when we talk in Romans 7, 14 through 25, guys, we still have sin in our life. There's residual sin in mine and your life right now, but we're covered by the blood of Christ. And it's only that blood that makes us look as though we're white as snow. Because otherwise, what evil that's inside of us, we would not be allowed in. Does that make sense? Now, a lot of people don't like that because there is a group of people who believe that you can live a sinless life and never sin ever again. But if that be true, then, then the word of God's not true because 1 John says if you say you're without sin, you make God a liar. We know we're sinners. We know we're saved by grace and it's only God's mercy that we're still able to sit here and breathe and live and somehow actually do works for Him. You know, He allows us to be a, 
fellow workmen with him in this thing, which is amazing. So if you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, what kind of life is that? That's your spiritual life. That's eternity. It's not here and now. But I do believe this. I believe that whenever you do honor your mother and father, just like the Word says, that there's longevity in your life. Why do I believe that? Because that's what the Word of God says. What does that look like? I don't know exactly what that looks like. But I, I have to believe those things. It's either true or it's not. 1 Corinthians 6 and 12, talking about aiding the Spirit, not allowing anything to have power and authority over anything in your life. So all things are lawful, right? But not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things... I'm sorry. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Anything. Not alcohol, not cigarettes, not pornography, not anger, not hatred, not my love of fishing or sports or hunting. You see... Anything. He says, I'm not going to have anything in my life. And that is really a hard thing to do. It really is, especially if you have things, because we like things, is not to allow a thing in your life to be greater than God. Because that's what he's saying. He didn't have a whole lot of things, but y'all, we have lots of things. We have lots of things. Brother Gene's garden could become an idol to him. I mean, something as simple as what God has given us to grow and to do. If he decides, well, I really need to work in the garden for the whole month of June so it don't die. There's no, I'm not going to church anymore. Well, he's allowed something to master, to take over what is right in his life, right? The same goes for me. If I decide for the whole month of June, I'm going to fish every single day because I'm and I'm not going to go to summer school. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm not going to church because I'm going to live my life because that's what I deserve. <laughs> I deserve to die and go to hell. But God mercifully saved me. When it says anything, all things are lawful for me, and it is, Everything that the Word of God says, I'm free, free indeed, right? And there's a law that works inside of my body that tells me that, but if it doesn't benefit someone else, it's not freeing, is it? That To that person is binding. So he's talking about a higher way of thinking about this new life in Christ. It doesn't matter that I'm free to do whatever I want to. Do I think that a man who drinks a beer every day is going to go to hell? I don't. I cannot see that in the Word of God. But I don't see how it's benefiting anything. That's just me personally. But if you sat at your house every day and drank a beer, why would you go to hell for that? You're not being mastered by it. Do you get drunk every single day? Do you not pay your bills and your kids don't have food because of that? Because, y'all, that could be your boat or your gun or your membership in the hunting club or whatever else. We, we pick on the easy things because beer and drugs and all that's easy. Why don't you think about the things in your life that that you take and it's okay because it's your life. We have a way of validating what we do wrong. We just really do because that's what we want to do and we're pleasing our flesh. So then in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, he says the same thing, but now he's kind of changing it. Because in, in 6 and 12, he says, I will not be mastered by anything. Even though it is, I'm free and it's lawful for me to do it, I'm not going to allow that to rule in my life, take over where God should be. In 10 and 23, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Then he says, all things are lawful, but, but not all things edify. What are we supposed to be to one another? We're supposed to edify each other. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says that all the gifts that were given, and guess what? Everybody in here has gifts of the Spirit because you're filled with the Spirit. 
What were those gifts given to do what? To edify the body of Christ. Every person has been given a gift, a spiritual gift to edify the body. If you're not edifying the body, then what's the opposite of that? Bad. I'm not looking for a specific word. I'm just saying we understand if I'm not edifying you, then I'm pushing you down. I'm beating you down. I'm driving you back. We're supposed to build one another up. That's, the, that's part of the job that we have. So if the things that I'm doing that are lawful for me are hurting someone else, should I do that? Paul even goes so far as to say that if he has a friend or a brother, as he puts it, and that brother thinks that eating meat is a bad thing, then when he's with them, he will never eat meat again. He will never sit around a table and eat meat with that person because it's not edifying that person. He's not going to be a stumbling block in someone's life. That, that, that goes back to the beer you drink. That one beer won't hurt anybody, I agree. But you can't drink that in front of people. Not in my situation. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, I, I know the whole situation. I've been there, you know. With yeah. I mean, I know people that drink. If I walk up, they'll offer me a Coke or a bottle of water. That's right. They won't offer me a beer, yeah. you know. But, but they understand that what they're doing is not right, too, by that. Sure. If I would drink a beer with them, well, it must be all right. He drinks mm-hmm. beer, look, you know. Yep. Yeah, it's not profitable for them for you to do that. The same way with dipping and smoking. It's like I had a couple, couple come to the house one time and they actually brought me some layoffs. And they were drinking their beer, you see. Well, one of them came to church for a while. But anyway, it got to explain to me, well, we just drink one every now and then. It's, ain't it okay? Mm-hmm. You know, went to question me. I said, well, I'm just going to tell you ideas. I could drink one of those beers and it wouldn't bother me one bit. I said, but if you're drinking it because it's something you like and it cools you down and whatever, that, that's mm-hmm. okay. But when you drink it and you get that bug, then you're doing it wrong. That's exactly right. How yeah. But the average person doesn't drink beer because it tastes good. That's just being honest. Because if that was true, they wouldn't sell so many of them. You know, because because yeah, average person drinks how many can cokes at a time? One. But it's the same thing with an energy drink. Why do people well, yeah. drink an energy yeah. drink? I mean, if if they drink them and drink them and drink them just to keep them going on and off and on, it's the same thing. You know. I mean, I like Bloody Marys. I love them. Mm-hmm. So, but you, I like the way they taste. So I buy the Bloody Mary mix, but I don't put the alcohol in it. I put pickle juice and that, and, and I drink one, but it doesn't have alcohol, you know? I mean, because mm-hmm. I like the way it tastes. Mm-hmm. So, it's all right to drink it. It's what you yeah. drink too much of it. It's, it's right. simple. Yeah. And if you drink too much of any of it. the wine. I mean, it's good for the body. Mm-hmm. It's good for the stomach. Wine to the patient. Yeah. But a drunk yeah. is an abomination. Exactly. Exactly. But the thing about it, too, is where we do it because we have right. to be concerned because what we have to um, be concerned is our influence. Mm-hmm. Sure. You have a testimony. Right. Yeah. I mean, I What's your testimony? I'm going to turn through that in a glass. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because no one would know that I'm just drinking tomato juice with mm-hmm. 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 Yep. Yeah. Drinking out in public. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At a restaurant. Because those people, I mean, they don't know that you don't have 
they don't have the alcohol in it. You can be a virgin. Yeah. Yeah. But there again. But that's where that's actually where we're going. Is is how we aid the spirit. Just exactly what we're talking about. In First Corinthians six and twelve, we did ten and twenty three. We're not causing an occasion to stumble in ten and twenty three. In Colossians three and five, uh, see what is our part. Therefore. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. In the, New, in the King James, it says, mortify your members. In other words, who's putting them to death? You are. Mortify your members. You do that. With the aid of who? Holy the Holy Spirit. He has got to be. The Spirit has to be in control because we can't do it otherwise. But if you just say, just go along and say, well... The Spirit's going to take care of everything. I've got a terrible habit, whatever that habit is, and I'm not even going to try because the Spirit's going to cleanse me and sanctify me of it. No, that is that is not how it happens. I know people who smoked all their life, and now they don't. But you know what? They want to smoke every day of their life. This idea, and I'm just being honest, this idea that whenever that is removed from you, that, that the desire for it's taken away, that's ridiculous. That, and that makes, that's just like the thorn that Paul had in his flesh. Okay, what's easier, that God takes away your desire to smoke a cigarette or your desire to drink alcohol or your desire to use an illegal substance? That would be super easy. But what's more, what's more um, advantageous for you in the spirit to fight is that you still have the desire for that thing. There's things that I desire that are not godly. And I personally have to make sure that I don't succumb to that. Well, I can tell you this, though, like myself, I smoked quite a many years. But I put them away, and I don't want none. I don't want to be around Yeah. I don't like being smelled like it. You know what I mean? But I'll tell you like this. I wasn't saved at the time, but I will give God the credit for taking that desire away from me. Most certainly. That's the thing. God, God takes away some desires, and there's some things they leave, yeah. and it's there. I personally believe it's there to keep you in that spiritual battle, to remind you to... to Subjugate your flesh to kill your flesh and keep it under control. You're still, you're still. You're, there are some things God delivers us from completely. Well, there's some things where He does. I was, <coughs> and I know there, there are people praying for me that I would quit that and be saved and all this. But uh, just to tell you, I, I always bought my cigarettes on Friday evening on the way home from work to get a carton of cigarettes. You know what I mean? Well, I come by and fill my truck up with gas one evening. I knew I needed cigarettes. I had one in a pack. And I thought about it. I said, I'm going to smoke that one. I'm through. That was it. That was it. And I know it wasn't me. You understand? I mean, I, yeah. I didn't have that much willpower. You know, but, yeah. But, I, but God took that desire away from me. Yes, sir. I mean, almost immediately. And that, that, that yeah. The danger, I guess the reason I brought it up is, is the danger is that you're talking to an individual and they say they still have the desire, but they fight it and they fight it and you say, well, then you're not saved. That's not true. There's people who have desires for things that are un against God, but they fight it every single day. And Lord willing, eventually that desire will go away. But that's not how it always is. Some people fight desires. That's just the same as with homosexuality. There are people who fight 
that thing because that is the evil thing that is that is part of your life. They they never they're asexual their whole life, but there's always that's always there. They choose not to act on it, and they live their life set apart, just them and the Lord. They never marry. They never do anything. That has got to be a very difficult life, but there are people who do it. Some things he delivers us from. Completely. Other things he makes us work through. Yes. But, but there's a reason for that because for those, for something that we have that he doesn't just take away and he makes us work through, it seems to me that it's probably because if he just took it, if he just, you know, if he just, just took it from us, yeah. we might end up from that. But if we have to work through it, with his help, knowing that that's what we're having to do. Yeah. You know, I mean, because the things that we work for, the things we appreciate more sometimes. True. If if he if he so took it just depends on the individual and the thing and where God sees we're at. With True. If he took everything away, we'd never know his grace was sufficient. You know, on, honestly, that's we would never truly know what sufficiency of grace is. But I know what it is in my life. And the other thing is, too, it, it glorifies God in such a magnificent way daily, whenever we have a daily struggle, because we're relying on the Spirit of God every day. Every day. It's still, it's still glorious whenever He removes something, because every day we can rejoice that He removed that desire. Yeah. But there's also a testimony built upon those things that He carries us through on a daily basis. Yeah. There's, there's, there's things that are hard, and that you have to, every day, you have to wake up and decide, what is my choice going to be today? Yeah. And whenever you have to rely on God for it, I, I know I can speak in my own life right now. There's things that I have to rely on God for every day. And if I don't, I fail. Yeah. And it and it humbles you and it gets forward to God. And then it lets me it, it lets me be used as a testimony to the goodness of God. Yeah. And it's, but then with the things that there are things I have been completely delivered from, from the time that I was saved. And that is also a testimony of God. And he removed that thing from me. And again, lets you know he has the ability to do that yep. and that his grace is sufficient in the rest of the time and that, Lord willing, keep pushing because that is a reality in your life. It very well could be. So the next one we'll look at is 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 7. This is, again, your part. He says these things, abstain, possess, and take advantage. Let's notice those three things. So 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 7, it's a, it's a longer piece of text. I'll let you guys turn there. So we're, we're talking about abstaining, possessing, and taking advantage of the, the Spirit of God in this instance. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 7. He says this, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus... For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is that you, okay, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you, you notice where it said you again? It didn't say the Spirit, did it? It said you, that, it, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. How are you going to know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor if you don't read his word? What does that even look like? Y'all, we don't have time to go into that, but you should yourself. How, how do we know that? Because of what we're doing right here. Because we're talking. The whole time that we've been doing this, you have been given examples. I don't know that they'll hear that on here. There's been just as much talking from you as it has been from me. There's examples of exactly what that means that's come out of every mouth in here. That's how you know right there. Then it says, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. 
and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. But we go back to that part that each of you know how to possess his own vessel. This, you have a function. You have a part. Possess. When you possess something, you own it. Now, you're now a possession of Jesus Christ, a possession of God. You're possessed by the kingdom, right? You're a possession of the Spirit of God because you have been sealed until the day of redemption. Can we agree on that at least? We have all been sealed until the day of redemption by the Spirit of God, right? But, but there again, even, even in light of that, he says, you need to know how to possess this vessel that I've given you and to do so in sanctification and honor. Honor your body. That's one of the hardest things in the time that we live with the billboards and the TV commercials and just everything. There is no such thing as honor, especially a female. You, they do not honor their body anymore. Their body is a tool to get what they want. You use your body for things. You use your body to get money, to get fame, power, especially with social media and TikTok and all of these other things that they have out there now that I'm not even going to talk about that's ridiculous that people make millions of dollars off of every year because people are sick and depraved, right? They don't know how to do that. We should. We should know how to do that. Why? Because what we've started with, the Spirit's purpose, it doesn't, you, you're doing your part, but the only reason you're doing your part is because you're filled with the Spirit of God. The Spirit is the one who's leading you, driving you to live a life that's holy and pleasing to God. Otherwise, you wouldn't. Those individuals are not saved, there's no way that you would do those things, pornography and all those things. You would not be a part of and associated with those things and be a safe person. That's that. But but at this, that's exactly right. But but that's a choice that you made, wasn't it? If I'm watching something, which I don't have cable anymore, but so I don't really see anything. There's not even any bad commercials because it's all just whatever. But if I'm watching something, just as you said, I have the power to turn it off. I'm not going to sit there and something come on that I shouldn't watch and go, well, if, if the Spirit doesn't want me to see that, He'll shut my eyes or He'll shut the power off and I just sit there and watch it. No, that's that's foolishness. That is foolishness, but that is exactly what a lot of people, that's how they live this. Well, this is all, it's all God. It's all the Spirit. I don't have a part in this. My part is just to be subject and, and let God do, no, that's ridiculous. That's not reality. You're still an active participant in the process of sanctification every day. So then we get to, that's what we're fixing to find out in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21, which says don't quench or reject and then examine and abstain. Four very important things. So 1 Thessalonians 5 and 19, do not quench the spirit. So do you have the ability to quench the Spirit? Mm, yes. That tells me that I, Matt McNeely, have the ability to override this, what the Spirit is telling me to do. Because guess what I still have? A will. I still have a will. What, what, is the, what do I really want to do? Y'all, I really want to serve God and please Him. But I do not do that every day. Definitely not every moment of every day. Okay? I really don't ever want for my wife to be mad at me, ever, ever, ever. I would never heap coals on my own head, but yet I find a way to do that. And guess what? It's my fault. Like, I can go back and look at it, and it's my fault. It's the tone I used, what I said, what I said that I didn't have to say, 
maybe the way I did whenever I was doing it, right? It's my fault. What? But that's not my, but that wasn't my purpose. I didn't want to fight. I didn't want to make you upset. It's the same way with the Lord. I don't, I don't purpose in my, I don't wake up every morning and go, Lord, I am just going to blow your mind today. You are going to be so angry with me before it's all over with. That's not how you live your life. I wake up in the morning. My body feels like it just went through some kind of a trash compactor thing and I got crushed all night. And then I lay there for a while and I go, God, please, you got to help me get out of this bed. If, if it's not for you, I am not going to make it through this day. It is an impossibility. That's how my day starts. And then I fail him all day. And yet he's still merciful and, and he's grace, so much grace. So, Again, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Oh, that's one that we're going to get into eventually. We just are because Brother Scott's done brought it up. And every time things get settled, and I feel like we're going to have a little bit of peace for a while, he brings up some scripture, and the study begins. It's like, oh, gosh, I just want some peace. But it's true. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Now, prophetic, does that mean that it's anything aside from the Word of God? No. A word of prophecy is just a word of knowledge about what? This. It would be like the Lord told Brother Gene that he should tell somebody something else. Or the Lord told Brother Gene that I was sinning in my life or whatever. Because God can do that, guys. He can't. He can reveal something to you about someone else. Or Brother Gene's been, been, I've been, the Lord's been dealing with me and saying, you should go to the nursing home more often. Let's just say, for instance, and Brother Gene comes to me and says, you know, I, the other day, I, the Lord just kind of spoke to me and said, maybe you should go to the nursing. You ever thought about going over there a little more and, and visiting or whatever? Well, he just spoke a word of prophecy, a word of knowledge based on what the word of God says, that maybe I should be doing more. Maybe I should do more in my life. That is a real thing that can happen. Now, did it? Does it? Does it happen every single service? No. Does it happen all the time? No. It actually happens very little for it to be real, because God just reveals Himself to His people normally, just like I reveal to you. Hey, how are you doing? Or through His Word. It's just when it's necessary. But but what it's saying is, don't 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 discount it. When someone comes to you with something, that's the problem with someone in an office that's higher and someone, Brother Gene comes to me, I'm an associate pastor. That means zero in the kingdom, uh, in anything. That's just a, a label that was given. But Brother Gene comes to me and says, Brother, I really think that this, you're doing wrong here. And I say, God wouldn't say that. You don't have the authority to tell me because I'm the associate pastor. You're not, you're not even a deacon. I mean, you're nothing here. What are you, right? I, that's right. I, I just despised what the father told one of his beloved, and I'm just supposed to despise that? Please don't ever do that. You are heading for calamity because God speaks through and who he wants to, to whoever, to whomever I should say. Why? Because pride comes before the fall. And when a man gets haughty, God will use the, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he uses the base things. He'll use the person who goes around and cleans those toilets to come and tell you his truth. Whatever it might be, don't, we need to be mindful of that, honestly. Then he says, <clears throat> excuse me, but examine everything. 
Examine everything in your life and examine that word that you got. If Brother Gene comes to me with a word and I can go back to the word of God and find that in there, that's real. Because the word, what does the word speak of? It speaks of itself. The spirit only speaks one thing, and that's what? The word of God. So if I can, if Brother Gene tells me something, I go back and find it in the word, that's word. That's reality. Whether I like it or not, hold fast that which is good. Hold on to those things. Philippians 4 and 8, think on these things. Hold fast to that which is good. Is there always going to be good? And is everything going to be good? Is every message you hear from me going to be what you consider good? Is every person that you hear preach going to be good? But guess what? There's good in it. Look for the things that are false because we need to know the difference. We, can, we should be able to discern between good and evil, but cling to the things that are right. That's the whole chew up the meat and spit out the bone, swallow the meat. Yeah, there's bad in everything, just about everything, especially of this world. But guess what, guys? There's also good in it. There is. There's, there's, that, and that's a hard one to understand too, but that's just a reality. Then it says, abstain from every form of evil. And I, I personally like the King James Version better because it abstains from even the appearance of evil. Abstain from the appearance of evil. Don't even make it look like you're doing something wrong. I should not go in that room back there and close the door with a woman that's not my wife. I mean nothing by that. Trust me, I don't want another wife or another woman at all. I just The one I got is going to be enough, right? But does that look good? It does not. We talked about drinking, smoking, alcohol, whatever it might be. I could go to the casino and eat, and I promise you, I would not gamble a bit. I would not drink a bit, but it's the appearance of it. It's the, it's the appearance. I could drive through um, Smoker's Paradise there at the edge of Pineville and buy the biggest, most delicious icy they have because they sell them because it's a draw. The parents are going there. I'll sell the kid an icy while they're doing that, so later they'll buy my daiquiri over here, right? I mean, it's all, they're marketing to children regardless of what they want to say. But why would I do that when I could just go get one from a real store? That's not the only place that sells an icy. So that's not an excuse. Well, it's really fast and it's on my way home and they got a drive through. No, no, that's not a reality. That doesn't make it. You get where, but I'm saying that it looks, did I do evil in the sight of God by buying an icy? I did not, but does it look that way? Almost certainly. So, that makes it, I say, harder because now we're talking about spiritual things and not just physical. I've got to worry about what Paul has said before. Is it lawful for me, Matt McNeely, to drive through and get an icy at Smoker's Paradise? Yeah. But is it advantageous? Is it beneficial for other people? No, it's not. Could it cause a stumbling block for someone else? Does it edify anything for me to be at a liquor store? No, not at all. Those are the types of decisions that we make every day, and we need to make sure that we make the right one. So then finally, we need to look at battling ourselves to what extent. This one is the one that hurts the most, if I'm going to be quite honest with you. What hurts the most? Oh, goodness. 1 Corinthians 9 and 27. This is Paul. I love this whole discourse when he's talking the whole thing, you know, because he's talking about fighting. He's talking about running. If you're going to win, you're running, and then you're boxing. I don't box as though I'm punching the air. I run as though I'm going to win the race. I'm striving. The word He uses the word strive. He's striving to win. But he says in, in 1 Corinthians 9 and 27, as he ends this, but I discipline my body and make it my slave. That's what that means. 
so that after I have preached to others, I myself might not be disqualified. So how does he do this? Very strictly, strictly disciplined. This strictly is 1396 in, in the Greek, and it's severely to subject to stern and rigid discipline to enslave. I enslave my body to the Spirit of God. I subject myself to the Spirit, and I capture that, which is terrible, and I keep it at bay. How do you do that? Through the Spirit. Well, you can't control yourself. If you don't control yourself, you're, you're not a saved man. You can't just live your life in Christ how you want to flippantly in habitual sin. We talk about sin a lot because it's a reality. Will you sin? Yes. But there's a difference between sin and habitual sin. Habitual means I just live my life in sin, and it doesn't bother me at all. But we go all the way back up here to Romans. If I am not led by the Spirit, I am dead. If I subject myself, my flesh, to the Spirit of God, I'm alive because I'm being led by the Spirit. I'm in the Spirit. So this is one of the... Paul had a lot of hard sayings, and Romans 7, 14 through 25 is one of the toughest ones to me personally. I've broke it down many times and listened to it. This, this right here makes the most sense that I've ever, I've ever felt that I got from it. It's a lot, but we're going to talk about it. All right, so in Romans 7, 14 through 25, with the knowledge that we are burdened with residual sin, we, we must fight until we are glorified. That's our job. So battling ourselves to what extent? Number one, to the extent that every single day, every single second, we're subjecting ourselves to the Spirit. That's mine and your job. We subject ourselves to the Spirit of God. We discipline ourselves severely, rigidly, to the point that we're a slave. We're no longer a slave to sin, but we're a slave to the Spirit. But being a slave to the Spirit is freedom, which is hard for people to understand because to be the slave of a perfect master is perfect, right? I don't have to worry about anything. I don't own myself. Someone else owns me. And who would it be better to be owned by and possessed by than the God of the universe? That's who I want to possess me and my soul. So starting in Romans 7 and 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. So he acknowledges right from the start, what I really want to do, I'm not doing. I'm doing the thing I hate. Have you ever found yourself there? I know I have. Even in my thoughts. Used to it was just the physical things I do. Now I'm burdened by the thoughts I have because my thoughts are not right. Right? Okay, so then he says, but if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. Okay, so now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. So I'm blaming the sin for, my, for what I'm doing. Is it the sin's fault? If I'm saved, born again, and filled with the Spirit of God, is it the sin's fault that I'm not following, being led by the Spirit? It's your fault. That's what he's saying. If I use that as my excuse, now I'm blaming sin. I'm blaming the devil. How can you blame the devil? Because Jesus Christ said he's already overcome him and that he made you and I more than overcomers in Christ Jesus. So he says, not only are you not a slave to sin, but I'm going to take you who are bound by sin and I'm going to use you for my kingdom purpose. That's who we are. So he's, he's laying out this to them and saying, that's not an excuse you can use. You need to throw that one away. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, 
that is in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. The flesh is weak, but the spirit is strong, Jesus says. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. How do you, how do you feel about that? that? That's something that you have to, you want to say rectify, justify, explain. You need to fully understand what that's saying. Is that true? Or is that not true in your life? Do you believe that sin still has power to make you do what you're not supposed to? If we really are truly free and we're no longer a slave to sin, is it truly the sin that's making you sin? No, it's, it's the choice you make. It's the power that you've given it. What we talked about earlier, unless I give him a foothold, Satan has no place in my life. None whatsoever. But in this idea, I heard it today. It was... Uh, Heard it many times in past, and I was looking at song lyrics, and that's one of the things. There's so many songs that that's what they say. They say, well, the devil made me do it, taught me into it. That was all she wrote. I mean, we could go through all the different things. I heard one today. It was uh, looking at them. It was a guy had said in the song, he said, I've, I've, held many a, I've held many a wife, but I've never been married. You know, and he went on to say that very thing. It was, it was, it was Satan that made him do what he did. No, 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 no. But that's what people do. They like to blame them because they don't want to blame themselves because then that brings it back to me. This is your fault. Starting in verse 21, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. So that spirit that's in you, you want to do what's right. But I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. What did, we just, what did we just say earlier? Colossians 3 and 5. Mortify your members. Put them to death. Whose fault is this? It is yours because you did not do what the Word of God says. Now, if you've ever read that, and the Spirit of God appears to teach and bring all things to remembrance and to convince you that there is sin, that there is righteousness, and that there is judgment, at this moment you're failing because the Spirit is bringing it back to you. Listen, when I sin, I know immediately that I've sinned. The Spirit of God convicts me and goes, oh man, not again. Not again. I can't just continue to do what I was doing. I repent. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Who? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. But with my flesh, the law of sin. So people say, well, you can't be doing both. Yes, yes, you can. That's the war. Like we're talking about the spiritual war. What is that war that's going on inside of me? What am I battling? That's what I'm battling. And how hard is that? Some days it's not real hard, guys. Especially if you don't, if you sleep all day, it's really simple. But I'm just going to say, in all honesty, I would hope, I pray that as I get older, and I'm less around others that it would be an easier day, right? Because I'm not influenced by so many negative things. But when I come into contact with hundreds of young people who have no morals, I mean, there's like, y'all, there's maybe 2% of kids who have morals anymore. It's ridiculous, okay? The things that I see, the things that I hear, the things that I have to put up with every day, it's, it's as he says, it's vexing. Like, it's just constantly, there's an assault on the spirit that's inside of you because you hear these things and you go, oh, my gosh. 
and it grieves you and it wears you down. And you have to be really careful not to fall into the same, right? It's very easy. Iron sharpens iron. If you hang out with the wrong people, so then you find yourself having to remove yourself from situations, not talk to certain people, move away. But do you do that? Who's, whose job is that? I'm standing with a group of people. Brother Gene spoke about it many times, and they start telling a joke that's not right. I walk away. That is a, that is a part of my job what I'm supposed to do. I just turn and walk away from it because it's not supposed to be something that I'm a part of. It's not supposed to be something that I think is okay. And then at the end of Romans, in Romans chapter 1, verse, verse 30, 32, yeah, it, it says it's, it's one thing. We, we as individuals, as saved, born-again believers, we may not partake in it or we may not say anything or we may just stand there, but the simple fact that we laugh at it or we don't walk away, says that we think it's okay. Honestly, that hinders our witness, and it hinders that process in our own life. Because the things we hear and the things we see do have a direct influence on where we are every day. Now, thankfully, we don't have to stay there. And it's not, the great thing about the Lord is, guys, we come into contact and see things all the time that we really never should have, but God has a way of removing those things because we didn't purposely want to. But it's when that eye lingers just a little bit too long, when that thought stays there just long enough because I'm learning more and more in this walk, if that seed is planted, it will bear. I don't care how much praying you do in between that. If you plant that seed, it is going to sow. If you sow it, it is going to grow. That is a very disturbing thing. But it's... Each thing, no matter how big, no matter how small, but bring it into captivity. Yes. And when we bring it into captivity, it's like you just dismiss it. Like then you were talking about where you're somewhere and and you walk away. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes we're in a situation where you, you physically literally can't. cannot walk away, but you know yep. we can. Definitely, we yeah. can not hear it. Yeah. It's possible. You know, it sometimes it takes practice, or you know what I'm saying. But the more we walk away from something, the then we get to where we can walk away from it and be standing right in the there. same place. I mean, if, if you walk away, if you can, but if physically yeah. you cannot, you you just shut it off. Yeah, you know? I agree. To shut it off. Yep. So the question again. Just reiterate: Does the spirit war against the flesh by himself, or do we fight alongside him in spiritual warfare? We fight alongside. I think we've proven that. Have we been called into spiritual warfare against ourselves? Yes, over and over and over. This is just a few of the examples from Paul, but we could go into 1 Peter too. All of the apostles, when they speak, they speak on the same thing. But here's the thing that people, everybody agree with that, but it's to what extent? To the extent of, of the most strict, severe, stern, rigid discipline that you could give yourself. I mean, I'm not talking about self, you know, beating yourself or whatever, but... But <clears throat> the the Greek there for the word discipline, the the root of that word is to bruise. To bruise. So it is to afflict yourself. That is to go against your own will, right? So it, it is. That is the emphasis in the Greek is to to bruise your own will to the point of beat yourself into submission. Basically. In the spirit, not physically. That's what I was. That's what I'm getting at. Is not not physically, because there there are. Yeah, there are religions and things that think you should, and they do. They make the things and they beat themselves, which is 
Yes, that's craziness. But but the question here, you know, the spirit war, though we war with the spirit, you know, we have to. Who does God hold responsible for us? Does He hold the spirit responsible, or does He hold me responsible? Yeah, He holds me responsible. Exactly. Because He said, "I've given you every." Yeah. I'm in the game. Right? Yeah. Because he said, I've given you everything. I love that. That's First Peter. I didn't go there, but I've given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. And that was given to you through the Spirit of God. So in other words, I've equipped you with everything you'll ever need. And I, and I made a perfect path for you. And yet you don't do it. That's why we go back to that sin, that sin that's unforgivable. The, the situation is, you know, it's up to me to do it. But the availability for me to do it is given by the Spirit. That's right. That's, That's right. My ability comes from the Spirit of God. But it's, and it's like with Jesus, he became a son because he came to earth? No, because he was obedient to the Father. That's why he became the perfect sacrifice. Why should we expect any less? Obedience is greater than sacrifice. 1 Samuel 15. That's like... Uh, that's another thing. I know I use Brother Gene a lot, but it'll be 10 years I'll be saved this year at this church. And in the very first years, those two, three, four years that I sat under him in the evenings, we had men's class. We learned a lot of stuff, and that was one of the things that came out over and over that they would talk about is God loves obedience greater than sacrifice. Why? They would say, why? The same way we go here. He already owns everything. When you sacrifice something to him, you didn't give him anything that wasn't his. But when you're obedient to him, that brings so much glory, so much glory to his name. So the hard part for you and I is, because of the flesh, is, is to do just that. It's just to be obedient. Don't quench the spirit, which we're going to get to that eventually. Don't quench the spirit because we have the ability to do just that. And when we do, we derail our own self. I mean, we, we do ourselves such a grave injustice and we don't even realize it. So, any other comments before I pray? Father, we thank you again for your word. God, I thank you for the conversation tonight. God, I thank you for the spirit of truth that's, that's in this very room. Father, thank you for the knowledge that you've given us, that you've bestowed in each and every one of us, God. The truth that you've given us, the, the pathway of life that you've made for each and every one of us that you love us so much that you've thought about every tiny little detail of our life all the way down to this night, to the conversations that we would have, the reasoning that went on. Lord, you can't do that everywhere. Father, I thank you for this people, and I thank you for this church. I ask that you would be with those that we ask prayer requests for. Father, God, bring them to our mind in the coming week, Father, so that we can pray for them. God, let them ever be, let us ever be prayerful for them, God. We ask for your favor, Lord, in this situation, that you would move on their behalf, Father, that you would touch, God, that your will might be done, that in everything that happens you will be glorified. Thank you, Lord, for the weeks thus far, and thank you for all that you're going to do in the coming days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Learning Curve podcast brought to you by Abundant Grace Church here in DeVille, Louisiana. Uh, we invite you to look at our webpage, it is www.abundantgracechurchonline.com. Uh, there you can find all the different ways that you can uh, be in contact with us. Thank you.